Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, page 687. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, John and everyone at Cornerstone. Great to be with you and delighted to be opening a little bit of Isaiah with you. Please keep Isaiah chapter 2 open. Let me pray for us as I start. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Please, Heavenly Father, help us to listen to your word, recognise your ways so different from ours, that we may walk in the way you want us to. And we ask it for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. A hundred years ago, last month, a fairly distant relative of mine was killed in the First World War. This is all the record I have. Lieutenant Robert Townsend Vorton Dimmock, serving as a platoon commander with D Company, 1st Battalion, the King's Shropshire Light Infantry, was in frontline trenches near Hooge when they were shelled by the Germans on the morning of the 27th of October, 1915. At 9.45am, a shell burst on the D Company officer's mess dugout and he was hit in the head by shrapnel. He died in the field ambulance that evening at the age of 20 after four months of operational service around Ypres. There will likely be some of you, or whom you know of, who have much closer relatives than mine who've laid down their lives training for war or in actual operational service in the armed forces. They've lost loved ones, not to spears, but to IEDs, to bullets, or just like 100 years ago, to shrapnel. They'll know more acutely of, um, than any of us just how painful it is to live in a world scarred by man's inhumanity to man. The year of conflict in the Ukraine that we've been witnessing in this 2022 year is a horrific reminder of the ongoing hostility and misery that flows from sinful, proud human hearts turned to war. The question we all want answered is, when will there be no more war? Or what would it take for the nations not to take up swords against nations and for there to be no need to train for war anymore? Is it an impossible hope that not a single person growing up in our society might need to ever consider joining the army, navy or air force? Well, Isaiah the prophet was given a glimpse of a future where there would be no more war or training for war. And it's to that vision that we turn briefly this Remembrance Sunday morning. Off the bat, Isaiah gives us the place, the timing and the shape 
of his amazing warless future. Writing 500 years before Jesus was born, the vision God gave Isaiah was of the place it concerned the land of Judah and its capital city, Jerusalem. That's there in the first line. The timing, it's there in the very next words, in the last days of. That was a far off date for Isaiah. The last days. And the shape, well, Isaiah then says cryptically, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all mountains. So somehow the temple in Jerusalem, where previously only God's people, the Jews, would have gone to meet with God annually and through a ritual sacrifice, having their sins forgiven, would be raised up, elevated, lifted up so high that there would begin to be an attractive effect on people of all nations. So the shape of this warless future then, people from all nations will be streaming to one place. And what will they be saying? Well, verse 3. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. So do you see how precise and remarkable this vision is when people from all different nations will begin to warmly call out to one another to come together and to learn together from the Lord? And then you have this stunning turning point in history. Huge numbers of people, disparate nations, moving en masse to the mountain of the Lord so that they can hear the teaching of God and with his guidance begin to live their lives in the way he wants. That's what it means to walk in his paths. And the event, people gathering like this, will have knock-on effects. When a wave reaches the shore, it breaks and then runs up the beach to its highest point. But it doesn't stop there. It then rushes out again. And you see, that's the trajectory of Isaiah's prophecy. People have rushed into one place to be taught by God, to learn to live his way. And then what will happen? The next line, the law, that's the word of the Lord, will go out from Zion, from Jerusalem. Word will spread. Once many nations have been drawn together and been able to sit under the teaching of the Lord, there'll be an in inevitable outflow. The law of God, his statutes and commands for how to live in this world, will go out from Zion and spread round the world. So that's the first horizon, that's what we've just looked at, of a prophecy that has already been fulfilled in history. And it's been fulfilled in an astonishingly clear way. So if we go back to the start of it, in Jerusalem, in Judah, the Lord's temple has been lifted up. When was that? Well, when it, was a, it was when a man from Nazareth gathered 12 disciples and began teaching crowds that flocked to hear him. He made amazing claims about himself, saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That uh, ignoring that sort of claim that the venue to meet with God and find forgiveness would no longer be a place, a physical temple, it was going to be a person. Jesus said, he is the way. So how was the temple lifted up? Well, it's not the lifting up anyone would want for themselves. Jesus was arrested, wrongfully tried, abandoned by his friends and sentenced to death. They did lift him up by nailing him through his hands and feet to a Roman cross. In Jesus' own words to his disciples after he arrived in Jerusalem for the last time, he told them about his own death. John 12 verse 32. 
Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of demons will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And John comments, this is to show what kind of death he was going to die. So do you see that Jesus knew full well the first stage of the fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy to be fulfilled would be in his own death. And that his being lifted up on a cross would become the beacon on a hill drawing people from all nations on earth to faith in him and to receipt of the forgiveness from God that his death makes possible. So how can it be? How can one man laying down his life at one point in human history be the means of forgiveness from God for millions of others? What possible mechanism achieves that? And the answer, as we know, is a swap, an exchange has taken place. There was a vast and awful exchange that we remind ourselves each Remembrance Sunday. Those who have died for their country in war. All who have lived and died in service of mankind. They gave an exchange. We are right to remember them. And as we live in the freedom that their lives paid for, we're happy to say that their sacrifices were not in vain. And then when Jesus, God's own perfect son, was killed that first Good Friday, his death, was so that the righteous anger of God at our sin might be turned away from us and taken up by him. The punishment was falling on him, him who was innocent of all sin, so that it need not fall on us who are guilty before God. Love was being shown to the loveless, that they might lovely be. A right response with the hymn writer might be to ask, Oh, who am I? that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die. So do you see what precisely the exchange was, the swap? Jesus gets the punishment that was heading for us. And us, what do we get? We who put our trust in him get the righteous standing before God that was Jesus's. That is a great exchange. But if, as you say, Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled 2,000 years ago with the nailing of Jesus to a cross, what of the next part? The swords will turn into plowshares and spears be turned into pruning hooks. When can we hope that nation will not take up sword against nation nor train for war anymore? Well, the word is going out from Zion. It has reached your ears today and your response to it is the first place to ask if it's taken root. Let me describe a very common scene. Two people you know have taken a dislike to each other. It hardly matters over what. A cruel jibe was spoken, a petty rumour was started in response. They may not have come to blows, but there is latent hostility. It's felt by them and it's felt by those close to them. The next part of the story isn't so common. Through very different paths, both John and Jane, these two people who are at odds with each other, came to Christ. One because a Christian friend cared enough to explain the gospel to them, the other through their own reading of the Bible. But they each came to realise that their sin had been paid for by another, and that forgiveness was theirs for the taking at no cost to themselves, bar the humility to accept it. Trusting in Jesus Christ and being forgiven their own sin their hostility to one another then began to drop away. They realised that what they now share by faith in Christ unites them in a way that whatever had divided them could be forgiven 
They realised the daggers that they'd been sharpening to use against one another could be better used for something constructive. And so enemies became friends. On a small scale, that part of Isaiah's prophecy is being fulfilled daily. The Apostle Paul would write of Christians in Galatia, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. All that the world used to cite as grounds dividing people from people doesn't any longer need to be so. Ephesians 2 verse 14, he himself is our peace. He's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So do you see there is a fulfilment of that prophecy about swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. But between now and Jesus' second coming, we can expect a battle to be raging. There will be those who heed the call to go up to the mountain of the Lord, to have God teach them his ways and to learn to walk in his paths. They will be taking steps, faltering at first, but still purposeful, to walk in the light of the world. They will be the ones able to put down their swords, able to give up training for war. But there'll be many others, sadly, too busy to stop, too blind to see, too deaf to hear, that the turning point in world history has come in the incarnation and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. So do you see, this Remembrance Sunday offers us a chance not only to remember the lives laid down for a country and for mankind, but the life laid down for the sin of the world. A great exchange has taken place. And the question I appeal to you all to answer is, have you gone up to the mountain of the Lord that you might experience the peace only God can provide? Have you trusted Christ with your life? Have you made amends with? Have you been brought to peace with your heavenly father? Or to rephrase that in 21st century terms, have you come to Jesus admitting your sin, repenting of it, and turning in faith to the one who gave his life to rescue you. If you've done that, there should be fruit. <clears throat> the fruit of a softening heart towards those who have hurt you. The fruit of the forgiveness that you've received, you will now be able to begin to hold out for forgiveness to others. Is that happening? Hostility will begin to be turned to productivity and relationships will begin to be mended. So this Remembrance Sunday, with Isaiah chapter 2 in front of us, and that promise of no more war, may today, in remembering the sacrifice of the servicemen and women for the freedoms of others, point us to this sacrifice of the Son, lifted up for us, so that we might be free from sin and set free to serve him. May we who've been loved by God rejoice in the provision that's been made for hostilities to cease and we therefore become increasingly known as peacemakers by all who know us. May I pray for us, for you and for me. Let's pray. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son, the living word, 
to go to Jerusalem, to be lifted up and to make known the offer of peace to all who will come to him. Thank you that you've made it known to us. Thank you that you have softened our hearts and brought us to repentance and faith. And we pray that fruit might be seen in the peacemaking that will be evident in our words and in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, for harbouring any hostility or bitterness or anger, knowing that Jesus has come, that those things might be done away with. We thank you for the sacrifice of servicemen and women the world over for the good of others. And we praise you for the pointing of the Lord to the Lord Jesus that they have made in the great exchange that has brought about peace between God and man. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.